Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. All right, so welcome everybody. Um, this is the live, first ever live podcast recording of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Since Facebook Live is facing this direction from the audience and this is audio, I'll say hi to the tens of thousands of people that are watching this right now in the audience. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is a Thursday evening session at the SAA. It's not the most popular sessions ever um, at this conference, which is probably why they're trying to get rid of it. But um, this is a forum on, on basically podcasting as public archaeology. However, um, that is going to be the focus of what we're going to talk about, and that is what we're going to talk about first. Uh, and then we'll just see where it goes, because this morning I actually gave a paper in Michael Ashley's session, and we'll introduce the other panels here in a second. Um, but I gave a paper on archaeology as uh, archaeology podcasting as digital preservation. So the concept of, you know, we're recording information digitally. We're, we're currently trying to figure out what to do with that information, you know, whether we store it in, in TDAR, you know, what are we going to do, where are we going to put these things, how do we keep the raw data but there's other ways to preserve archaeological sites, and one of those ways can be through podcasts. And the information is telling the story about the site. You have the raw data on one side, you have the story, the narrative of the site on the other side, and you can do that through, um, through podcasting. And, and we've done that a lot in the past two years, I think. So before we go any farther, though, we'll say who, uh, who else is here. And uh, we've got a few panelists and a few, a few podcasters and, a, and one longtime guest from the uh, and, and future podcast host, if we ever get our ass in gear on this podcast for Codify, <laughs> um, as panelists. So as I mentioned, I'm Chris Webster, founder of the Archaeology Podcast Network and host of several different shows, and, uh, and I guess moderator of this forum, technically. And uh, we also have Stephen Wagner. Stephen? Hi. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, what podcast are you on and... What do you do uh, generally as uh, a human? As a human? Yeah. Well, I, I'm on. <laughs> Besides collect pens. Yes. Take care of ruckus. Um, I, uh, I'm on the CRM Archaeology Podcast, which is what was the flagship podcast. Kind of still is. Still is. For CRM Archaeologists. Yeah, it's the first one. Um, and I've been on it, I think, from the get-go. And... Uh, I think my primary function is just to um, annoy Chris. So, yes. uh, yeah. Okay. And we also have Chris Sims, host of the Go Dig a Hole podcast. I don't know why I had the wrong emphasis on that, but the Go Dig a Hole podcast. Um, co-host on Archaeotech podcast and co-host on uh, the CRM Archaeology podcast. Chris, how's it going? Uh, going great. Happy to be here tonight. I'm also the editor for most of the shows on Archaeology Podcast Network. So. Yes, most, not all, just yet. Working on it. Yeah. No. All right. And then, long time, uh, I guess, guest, we have Michael Ashley, who's uh, here sponsoring, here with the Codify booth. And, uh, and I, I said sponsoring like Freudian Slip because Codify is a major sponsor and pays for all that editing for the uh, Archaeology Podcast Network. Michael. Hey, 
I'm uh, here. I'm still alive. <laughs> Thursday nights are, are rough. There's lots of stuff going on, and we've been at this since 8 a.m. So yep. it's feeling a little like a Jerry Lewis telethon here, first day at the SCAs. But um, um, I've heard lots of great things about APM all day from people Fantastic. randomly. So it's good. Awesome. I'll be back after I finish my Chipotle. <laughs> it's dinner time for most everybody here. All right, so we're here. You know, there are some people in the room, and what we're talking about today is archaeology podcasting as public outreach because I think I always tell people one of the biggest responsibilities of our job is to not just do the field work, the fun stuff that we like to do, but to also tell people about it. Um, and that can be fun too. Um, sometimes people see it as not fun, I think. I've seen plenty of uh, plenty of other projects, or at least heard about them, where their form of public outreach was to put up some signs or something, you know, for the public to see, which is good. That needs, stuff needs to be out there. Or, like, do some sort of public presentation at a, you know, some sort of thing. The BLM, I, I know, in the Great Basin often has certain types of projects that have a public outreach component. Um, but I think that podcasting and, like I said, telling the story can be a good a good way to do that. Um, and I think for some, you know, we're going to get some some interaction from the audience, I think, but also uh, we'll just open it up to our panelists. Stephen, you've worked in archaeology for a long time, and you've been on the podcast. Uh, you and I have been on the longest out of everybody in the room, because you started the Sierra Mark podcast with me. So what has been your impression, just going to conferences, you've talked to people probably about the podcast. This as a, what do you think about podcasting as a public outreach sort of device? I mean, I don't know if the Sierra Mark podcast is really the best example yeah, of that. Um, <laughs> I, I, well, and it's funny because, you know, I, I saw your, uh, um, your your talk this afternoon and, uh, you know, you're talking about, yeah, how, how great it is at outreach for archaeological stories. And that's really not what the Sierra Mark Archaeology <laughs> podcast does. It's more of a, um, I don't want to necessarily say uh, how to, but it's 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 very kind meta of. about yeah. it, it's it's. Uh, um, if you're interested in, in doing CRM archaeology and debating the issues and te technical aspects of doing or being a CRM archaeologist, that's really kind of how that show is aimed. Um, so there's not a lot of like public outreach so much as uh, outreach to other archaeologists. Mm -hmm. um, as far as like uh, res public response goes, um, Probably the biggest one is I'll, I'll meet somebody at a conference or someplace and I'll be talking to them and halfway through they'll be like, do, do you do a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and yeah, so people are aware of it and people listen to it, but they don't necessarily connect me with mm -hmm. uh, podcasting in general. Nice. Okay. Well, I think I mean, one of the reasons I try to, to explain stuff on our show because we do a lot of jargon and things like that. And I, I don't always catch it, but sometimes I try to catch it and I say, well, we're using some acronyms and some terminology. Let's try to explain that. Because I do think that some of our audience could be just random general public that stumbles upon the show and then quickly unsubscribes when they find out what it's all about. <laughs> but uh, for that 45 seconds, they're going to learn something. you know. And I figure that's, that's one of our um, responsibilities. Chris, what about you? Your podcast is a little bit different, similar to the Sierra Mark Algae podcast, but a little bit different. Yeah, there's a lot of overlap with the CRM Archaeology podcast. So my podcast is geared toward early career archaeologists. So that spans the, the range from uh, even high school students. I've had several high school students on. They're interested in archaeology, and they're trying to 
put the first steps in their path to being an archaeologist down. Uh, I've had a lot of undergrads on, and undergrads tend to be my focused market for, or focused audience rather, they're one and the same, um, for where I, I direct the messages in the podcast. And so, you know, then it also goes into CRMers and people who are jumping in between grad school and stuff like that, trying to figure out the next step. And so I look around to all the different pathways that careers in archaeology can go. And I interview people and bring their experiences back around and try and relate it back to things that are useful messages, useful strategies to keep your career in archaeology moving forward, no matter which direction it might go. And <clears throat> it's been amazing because I've been able to talk to a lot of people that I otherwise wouldn't get to talk to. And I myself have learned a lot from other people by doing this. And uh, I think that like to follow up on something that Steven said, with we're not necessarily just doing outreach to archaeologists. You know, like that's just as important, I think, as uh, outreach to the public sometimes, because there's not much of a support network, right? So there's there's also a, a gap or a divide between um, the classroom and a career for people who are in their early career. So that's what I try and work on with Go Dig a Hole. Okay. All right. So, Michael, you're not an official podcaster with us, but you've been on a lot of shows, and uh, and we're going to start things. But I, I want to get your feedback because I had to duck in for the 15 minutes of my paper this morning and then duck right back out. So, as far as archaeology as digital preservation and maybe some of that stuff, maybe you can speak to what some of the response was to that because I didn't get to hear a chance to hear the discussants either. So I have no idea how that went. <laughs> and be brutal. <laughs> no, no, it's actually really great. Um, but before I, as I normally do, before I answer your question directly. Um, <coughs> But I mean, you know, we can't we can't do it all. But I mean, I feel like um, podcasting is uh, one of it's probably the best way I could think of these days of reaching uh, all of us. Mm -hmm. Like people, you know, if you look at what's happened with the APN, and I'm, I won't steal your thunder, so I won't talk the numbers, <laughs> but just to say. When you look at what's happened in the ABN since, 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 since its inception, um, now with how many shows again? Uh, 18. 18, and that will be growing this year. And yep. they're, quote, full. They're, you know, there's a lot of interest. Um, and you know, we were at the Society for California Archaeology meetings just a couple of weeks ago, and I had no less than you know, I had two different people from the state, the state of California, come up and say, we are really seriously, we want to start a podcast, and we, we want to use this as a way to reach people. National Center for Preservation Technology and Training, um, I don't think they're supporting their podcast anymore because they realize how hard it is to do this work. Because what they used to do is they would do a podcast, like Ruth Tring was on it, mm -hmm. and they also did a full transcription of that podcast, which is really fantastic. Nice. So, you know, it's a lot of work. Um, I personally think it's, it's a better medium in a lot of ways than blogging because you're in a truck. <laughs> <laughs> You can put these things in your ears, and you can listen to stuff. Again, you, if, it, if it's not therapy sessions from the CRM podcast, or having Sonia tell you what you should get out, um, I feel like we it just is a great a great medium for uh, for public outreach, as as you were describing. Um, the in the session today, when we're talking, it was a session on a big, huge word, epistemology, 
it's like how we know what we know, what we're doing, startings and endings and all the things in between. And Chris talked about this notion of using of preservation <clears throat> through podcasting. And what came up for me, <clears throat> which um, you didn't actually say, but I think is what you meant. The thing is, is that if we go to oral tradition of having worked with indigenous tribes around the universe here, um, that's how we preserve things. And it's not the bits, it's not the paper, it's the ideas that we can figure out a way to, to disseminate across, um, you know, across the airwaves. And that is why I think podcasting, I feel like it's a real missed opportunity, mm. or has been, and now has an opportunity to actually become a mainstream gateway for sharing and making archaeology more relevant. Awesome. That's a lot of words that actually almost made sense. <laughs> given the time nice, of day. nice. Well, in, speaking of the format too, you know, is audio, which is one of the reasons I like it, as opposed to blogs, like you said. I have had a number of people tell me that um, they don't actually subscribe to the podcast, but like their crew chief does, so they listen to it on the way out into the field on a project or something like that. So figure for every like one or so person, we've got three or four others possibly in the truck maybe listening to it. And actually one of, one person that, that Chris and I both worked with, um, both worked with a couple of years ago, Andrew, he happened to mention, and I'd never met him before, and the Sierra Mark podcast was only a couple of years old, two, three years old at the time. And he said he's not sure that there's anybody right now that hasn't at least heard about the CRM Mark podcast in CRM. And I figured, well, that's that's pretty good. You know, we're hitting a pretty good audience then. So um, I would like to direct it to the audience uh, real quick because in our audience we have two hosts of the highest subscriber show on the Archaeology Podcast Network, um, Ken Fader and Jeb Card. And uh, Positively <laughs> shocking. Hello, everybody. It's Ken Fader. Jeb Card. Uh, Sarah could not be here, but uh, glad to kind of chip in a little. <laughs> so I want to ask you guys specifically, um, Ken, you've been on since we started the Archie Fantasies podcast. And, you know, that really is kind of a public outreach podcast. I mean, the whole point of that show is to get some information out there so people um, don't go on believing the things that they believe, right? So... What kind of feedback have you had, if any, and, and what kind of impact do you think the show is having? A very few death threats, actually. <laughs> L- lawsuits are slightly higher. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. Well, that's ex- to be expected. We, we, we are mostly joking. Mostly. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, the people get mad at us, but yeah. I think we've had a, a really very positive feedback yeah. from folks who yeah. say, wow, this is stuff we wanted archaeologists to be talking about. We didn't know where we could access that. And I think our podcast allows that well, to and, happen. And, and here's the thing I would say. Um, we get a lot of great positive feedback on Facebook and Twitter and on the comments on the site. But the nice surprise over the last 24 hours has been wandering around the SA and so many people going, oh, yeah, I listen to your show. And so we are very much a public outreach thing. Archaeologists, part of the public. They are, and mm-hmm. we talk about a lot of core archaeological things, and then a lot of. Um, by the way, if you haven't heard our show, weird shit that um, <laughs> you might not know if you're in the profession, and yet people actually think is what we do, and, and it's been actually really gratifying hearing a lot of my colleagues talking about that the last uh, the last 24 hours here in Vancouver. Sure. What's also great is that we get some of the feedback we get are people who have actually something substantive to share with us oh, yeah. about a topic. That's probably our Stuff best. Stuff that we didn't even know about. Well, oh, that's really yeah. interesting, and yeah. we need to incorporate that. Yeah, or or like corrections on things we've said. Because I mean, honestly, while we generally know 
something of what we're doing. We're often spitballing a little, um, which, you know, we're doing right now. Right. But uh, it is nice when somebody's like, no, I've looked into this and da 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 And we absolutely welcome that because one of the things I do like about the show and the fact that we can bring in three people who have looked at this for years is there are some public outreach. There are some people who talk about things, I'm not going to lie, who kind of basically go and read Wikipedia and then sort of give their thoughts. And if you've listened to our show, that is absolutely not what we do. In fact, I think the problem we sometimes have is we're like, okay, we, you know, I've listened, I've listened to the architect, I've listened to the women in uh, archaeologists instead of the, the, the Sheffield, the, the ale and archaeology. And, and these are people who are bringing their own professional things. And even though our topics on archaeological fantasies are sometimes like, oh, isn't that goofy? Isn't that strange? We're doing the same thing. So when listeners come in and go, hey, wait a minute, I know about this. We can help further this conversation. That's actually really awesome. Yeah. And I, I think what's important about our show as well is that we don't just focus on uh, the bullshit. Now, Chris would have been really disappointed had I not <laughs> said bullshit. Yeah, I, I think we got uh, True story. Five, five, six minutes in. <laughs> yeah, before. Yeah, absolutely. Not our shortest time. But um, it's all about context. And so in, in, in every single case, it's not just this is wrong. It's this is why this is wrong, and this is what we really know. This is why, and also, topic. this is why this exists. This is why this persists. And frankly, often, this is why people think this, even though I'm from a scientific perspective, I'm from a professional perspective. Yeah, but why aren't you answering my question? And that's one of the biggest mm -hmm. things we often deal with on that show. So, in a sense, we do an ethnography of weirdness. Yeah, which uh, in my case, I would consider a self-ethnography or a native it's, ethnography. Yes. But, uh, Here, it's participant observation yeah. for you, right? Yeah, uh, it's, going, it's going home. It's going home. So Nice, nice. Well, I, I would like to say real quick that, uh, Jeb, I'm glad that you're getting this sort of feedback at this conference because it was just a year ago in Orlando. You know, you'd been a guest on this show just a few times. I've been on, I've been on a few times. Yeah. And, and we talked about it, and it, it, was, it, it made sense to bring in a voice, and, and I, I, most of my professional work is in Central America. If you've listened to the couple of uh, Archaeology 365s I've cut, they're about archaeology in El Salvador, and that brings a somewhat different perspective than what Ken and Sarah do, and also I, I, I've kind of become like the resident weirdo on the show to some degree, so <laughs> I'm comfortable with that, but it's, it's a legitimate point. But yeah, it, it was a kind of a feedback thing there as well. Resident weirdo, that, are that we gonna, are we going to have to like fisticuffs now? That, well, that applies to you in a more general sense as well, doesn't it? Yes, that's correct. I, I've seen the photograph of you at the Roswell conference. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, so. With with the Raelians inside. I'm not making this up. There's possibly my greatest ethnographic moment. I went in 2002 to the. We've talked about this on the air. Uh, in the 2002 to the UFO uh, conference and and convention and and happy fun times in Roswell, New Mexico, and. I went to a storefront evangelical church dedicated to the idea that aliens are actually demonic forces. And they were hosting a group of Raelians, this religious group based out of Quebec, that they say that they don't worship aliens. Any etic perspective would disagree with that. Mm -hmm. They had been kicked out of their, their, their planned talk at the UFO at Museum and Research Center in Roswell because they were too weird which I think you should get a medal if that happens. Um, but the evangelicals across the street allowed them in. And there was a picture somebody else took of me sort of incognito in this, pic this situation being, uh, being evangelized at by them. I'm like, this is possibly the greatest moment in my, in my <laughs> professional career. It is not now, but at the time, it might have been. 
So the answer is yes. Yes, yes, the resident weirdo. Whatever the question was. Yes. <laughs> the, answer is yes. The, answer was, the answer was we forgot to fisticuffs over first or second place weirdness. So, yeah. Nice. All right, Michael. No, I, just have a, <clears throat> I just have a kind of funny story. You guys were cross-listed uh, or something with Monster something? Monster Talk. All right, so, so um, I was doing these. I live in, uh, down in the Bay Area and near open space, and I was going on this... Uh, uh, my Monday morning walk, which is like pre-dawn, had these noise-canceling headphones. It was an episode on like fairies, <laughs> and I got about halfway through. So it's, it's pitch black. I mean, I had a bike light, and I'm up at, up in the hills where it's just actively known with has coyotes and bobcats and <laughs> people with dogs, all the same thing. Anyway, I'm listening. I guess I have you guys in my head, and I'm listening, and I had to turn it off because I was. I'm really scared. <laughs> scared. That was the effect we were going for. You got it. You got, you, it worked. I was terrified. I was peeing myself. The episode that they're talking about, we did. Um, there's a there's a fantastic uh, podcast, the the Monster Talk uh, podcast, where they basically call themselves the Silent Show about monsters. And I'm not gonna lie, when we have our our uh, our guest episodes, we you know they they kind of set a really nice model that I think we've occasionally riffed on, and it just made sense at some point to do a crossover. And some stuff from my book research, et cetera, that made sense as a, as a, as a, as the thing we would talk about. Uh, so we went on there, we did that, and no, that was kind of sort of what we were we were going for. So, so good. I, yeah, I, all, I, all I, the I you were slightly terrified. No, I took the headphones. I'm like, nope, I, I, none I, of this. It's no. <laughs> I'm back to death metal because it's safer. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I went. <laughs> but thank you. It was great. Yeah. No, thank you. All right, so we were we were just joined by another host uh, from the APN, Kirsten Lopez, um, and yeah. she is host of the Women in Archaeology podcast. Kirsten, how's it going? It's going quite well. I actually was running a, a tad late due to conference logistics with uh, meals, of course, never go as planned. No. So that's, uh, I apologize again. Nice. Well, we are talking about um, public archaeology and uh, podcasting as public archaeology. So yeah. as a host of a relatively relatively new show on the APN, you know, you guys have been around what, a little over a year, I think. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, 20 some odd episodes. Um, what has been your reception and, and what, you know, the, and maybe tell the audience a little bit about the kinds of episodes you guys put out and maybe what your goal is. Yeah, so it's been a variety. Um, the goal for women in archaeology has been basically just to put out a variety of topics through the voice or uh, perspective of women in archaeology. And since depending on what level of um, the field you're looking at, we make up about a little more than half at this point, I believe, of as women of um, all archaeologists so the fact that most written records and most stuff that's put out is still mostly men because that's who gets higher up um, just as a result of how things are right now we're just trying to kind of make sure that the voices are heard and um, we do stuff from you know women's issues um, everything from a you know something along the lines of the period episode um, to uh, some hot button topics. Our first episode was actually the Malheur occupation uh, highlight. So I think that may have thrown some people for a loop because that's not what they were expecting. But um, yeah, we women's issues are important, but it's definitely, you know, there are a limited number of them as far as you can't, I don't think, really continue to talk about the same thing 
over and over again. And we didn't want to necessarily get pigeonholed into that sort of topic uh, and subtopic genre. So just making sure that, you know, everyone kind of realizes women are, we're in all of it. <laughs> and you can't really avoid us. And you guys have had some really good, like you said, the the Malheur occupation. The mm -hmm. um, you, you had an episode on on Trump and the and the incoming administration at the yes, time, and yes. and just having that um, that perspective, I think, from a from a woman's point of view, you yeah. know, is, is is very different and and needs to be out there and heard. And um, what kind of have you guys had any feedback or reception? Um, you know, related to some of your topics? I know you have a Facebook page and things like that. Yeah, we both, mostly that I've seen, had, it's been pretty positive, actually. Uh, we've had a number of women that are very excited to hear that we're out there. Um, and as far as personal feedback, has been very good. I haven't heard a whole lot of negative, but, uh, you know, I, I'm not the one who receives all the... Uh, <laughs> all we we haven't either. <laughs> so, as far as I've seen on the, the you know, incoming email posts and uh, the, the Facebook page, it's been positive. So we've had some requests and such that we haven't quite gotten to just because, you know, like you said, we've only done 20-something episodes, so we're still chunking out a lot of the topic requests that we've had, and there's still a list that we're working on and mm -hmm. kind of sorting through that. But, yeah, everything. We try and keep a balance between the serious political and or um, – institutional debates and uh, theoretical uh, conversations, as well as stuff that's a little more lighthearted, like what do you carry in your pack? <laughs> what do you recommend? Like what is your go-to thing that you must have? And there's a variety of things that people must, must, must have. Mm -hmm. So what's yours, Chris? Uh, my iPad. Your iPad? <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> I have been forced to say that contractually. <laughs> I guess that's kind of true. That's kind of true. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, I want to hear more. What, what, what are some of the things that came up? What are some of the things that people come up that they must have in their pack besides, you know, a pink-haired gnome or something? You know, well, there's one ply toilet paper. And with that, even if you're on survey, you must have a trowel to ply. Oh, I like that. You must have a trowel. Yeah, true. well, I mean, you never know when you're going to need it, whether it's digging a cat hole <laughs> or anything else. Does it correlate with the toilet paper? Because It can, yes. Trowel handle, actually, when stuck right, is actually a toilet paper holder. Yes. <laughs> it's actually not a joke. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's the best thing. As long as you have soil to, you right. know, yeah. dig into on that. <laughs> yeah. did it. We've entered the poop conversation. <laughs> <laughs> this is the second time today, too. Yeah. Like, how is that possible? <laughs> I'd like to get in on the what you have in your pack. Uh, it's, I don't believe in clouds. I don't believe in giving back up to other people. So I always have to make sure whatever I'm writing at that time, uh, whether I'm in the field, whether I'm doing something else, uh, I have on a USB somewhere on my person. And everybody should be noticing that I actually have that on my person at this very moment. So uh, that's that would be my my add to that conversation. Everything else can give you a damn trowel. <laughs> nice, nice. All right. Well, I am interested in hearing um, from some audience members, maybe that uh, that aren't on podcasts. Um, Bill, you're sitting right here in front. 
Now, I know you from uh, from Twitter. We've done some work before in CRM. Um, how did you find the podcast? Because we're talking about public outreach. So how did you how did you find us, and what have you gotten from it? So I, I kind of found the uh, before the sort of the official launch of, of TPM when it was just uh, archaeology, uh, yeah. the archaeology podcast, uh, archaeology show, uh, CRM archaeology podcast. Um, I was sort of uh, I had, uh, was beginning an early career, and I was doing a lot of uh, solo traveling. And um, I like podcasts. I've been listening to podcasts <laughs> for over a decade. Um, so I'm like, okay, let me try to find some archaeology podcasts. And then I would like throw that into the search term, and like two things popped up. <laughs> One of them, which was the CRM archaeology podcast. And so I sort of started listening then. And then as it as the network grew, I got onto the general feed, and I and I, I guess at this point now, I guess I'm a super fan. <laughs> I, act, I stumbled into it. Uh, you I, you I are sitting in the audience. I listen to most, <laughs> of the, most of everything that comes across. And it, it's, it's like weird when I finally got to like meet, I, when I got to meet Chris in person and, mm-hmm. and sort of everyone else, it's like, I kind of know so much about you guys. <laughs> it's, it's almost uncomfortable, right? Uh, in, in, a, in a way. Because uh, I know way more about some of your personal lives then I, I probably should. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, about that. So make sure those doors are locked. Um. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's people like Bill, listeners who have a lot of engagement with our podcast who just kind of uh, validate what we're doing. And so like, it makes it feel like we're not howling into the void. Uh, and you know, yeah. somebody's receiving the message, and somebody has something to give back. I would, I would definitely say I'm, I'm definitely an advocate of the APN. Uh, anytime I'm with a group of archaeologists, I always sort of mention what the latest podcast. Um, I was like most recently, uh, uh, two weeks ago, I was in Virginia Beach for the Mid Atlantic Archaeology Conference, and I was actually talking about the women in archaeology podcast to a, to a group of a. Uh, uh, women uh, I, I know in the field and uh, I've actually gotten some to actually start listening to it now so uh, so it, it's, it's out there so I yeah I, I, I find it as a good resource uh, for, for both conversation and knowledge uh, I like the aspects that sort of break me out of my regional bubble uh, of, of experience um, like I'm an East Coast guy uh, so I had no idea of the prevalence of West Coast tin can historic <laughs> archaeology uh, which I learned from the APN nice nice I'm sorry about that um, you know that that's great it, it kind of helps to explain some of the numbers that Michael alluded to earlier you know I, I we have a poster downstairs in our booth that that I made a month ago, I think, for the California conference, and it says 52,000 monthly subscribers, and I crossed it out in Sharpie and wrote 63,000 because that's what we're at today. And that's in a month, and it's just insane. And I was like, something's got to be going, like I wasn't even believing it. I was telling my wife who's in the audience, like Somebody's, something's got to be going wrong here because I don't understand how these numbers are going up so fast all of a sudden in the past like six, eight months, but I think it's this sort of exponential expansion of people we don't even know like proselytizing for us. And I think I think not only is that fantastic for the network, but what that translates into is more people hearing about the stuff that we're doing. Um, and more people that might not be archaeologists finding out about a podcast and then hearing about, you know, kind of like it's kind of like a really big version of the Day of Archaeology blog uh, blog thing that happens in, uh, in the summertime. It's... Uh, it's supposed to be a day in the life of the archaeologist, you know, what are you doing? But I figure, I feel like there's, with 63,000 monthly subscribers, most of those people can't be archaeologists. There just aren't that many. So, um, you know, 
that's great to me because they get to hear pull back the veil a little bit. It's not Indiana Jones. It's not all bull whips and, and guns. Maybe it is. I think it is for Jeb and Ken, but um, it's just what it's, they wear. It's just what they wear. <laughs> I got one more little anecdote for you guys. Uh, shout out to the Archaeology Fantasy podcast. Um, so we are trying to figure out ways to fund all this. I know we'll talk about this more, but just to get the party started, uh, I got a random email from someone that was listening to Archaeology Fantasies. He said, yeah, I heard that your ad for your photo boards on the show, <laughs> and we're a bunch of biologists, and we do this public outreach. We do this public outreach. We do this walk in nature, and they do all the new and icky stuff. They pick up mushrooms and slugs and all sorts of weird stuff, and they take photos of them, and they try to teach everybody about all the things. And uh, we're going to sponsor them and you know give them some photo boards, but th- these are biologists, you know, <laughs> listening. To, to a show that's really a public-facing show. Um, and and from a sponsor perspective, there's clearly traction there, and I never would have guessed that it was. So it's, I, don't, I mean, it's, it is, it's reaching a critical mass. You should be extremely proud. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. I don't know if you have the metrics for this. When you say 63,000, are those unique individual subscribers or 63,000 subscriptions, meaning people? And do people have multiple subscriptions? So the answer to that question is probably yes, but it's difficult to tell because podcasting numbers are really notoriously hard to, to suss out. What, what I mean by that, what I can tell you, what I have done is when I look at our back end of our website and I see, I click all for all of our shows and I see 63,000, I can go and click on each individual show and see smaller numbers and those add up to 63,000. So it's recording. Some people are like, Bill, if you're, if you're subscribed to every single show that we have, then you're one person that's showing up this multiple number of times. So that's my guess, but it's really hard to kind of tell. Because if somebody subscribes to all 18 shows, forgive yeah. me, but they need some emotional help, I think. Well. <laughs> I'm alone in a car. It's <laughs> <laughs> a whole enthusiastic. There's nothing wrong with that. In that's right. States, but yeah, yeah. I Bill- subscribe to all 18. I'm married to Chris, so I have to. Yeah, go look. <laughs> <laughs> I'm married to him, and I've never even listened to any of the podcasts. So I'm a crappy wife. <laughs> so I actually uh, I, I don't listen to podcasts at all of any type. In fact, I didn't even listen to the one that I was on as a guest for these guys. Um, I couldn't stand to listen to my own. Uh, but one thing that I've kind of noticed when, when looking at what you guys do is uh, being someone who teaches a lot of classes and a lot of archaeology-based classes, um, what would be really helpful for me is to have some sort of easy access thing where maybe you've pulled from whichever of the 18 that you do, some that are bite-sized, maybe connected to educational things where I could say, oh, I've got a lecture on this. What could I assign as a supplemental listen for my students? And to, if you added on some accessibility regarding that, I think that would probably up dramatically your, your listenership. Um, it would be very more versatile for someone like me because I don't want to listen through all of them to figure out what might be useful for my classes, but to have some handy guide would be uh, really nice. So I, I just make an appeal to you guys if you would provide something like that, that might be a nice avenue. Yeah, that's a really good suggestion, and um, that's actually kind of what I do when um, for the Archaeotech podcast. That um, I, it's it's probably 
the one that I listen to the most, but it tends to be non-sequential. I, I like, hmm, I need to brush up on drones, and, and I mean, which narrows it down to like half the show, right? So it's, it's like the drone show. Um, but yeah, I, I will like what you know, like whatever I'm interested in at, at that at that point, I, I'm usually hunting down that particular episode of the Archaeotech podcast uh, in particular. Nice, and, and that's good to hear because I, I, I created. Um, so I'll say two things. One, yes, I wholeheartedly agree with you, uh, and we've wanted. I've I've thought about that before. I've had that suggestion before a few years ago, and uh, the really the only thing stopping us from doing anything that we want to do is just time and people to do it. Um, you know, having Chris do uh, you know probably ninety percent of the editing has really freed me up to focus on some other shows and do some other things, which is great. But really, we just need more people that can focus on that and, and help do those sorts of things. Uh, and as we create more shows, we create this enormous backlog that, you know, we've got over, I think the last I counted was over 550 episodes that have been recorded in the last two years. So of all kinds of things. That being said, for anybody listening to this that does want to search for things, on our main page at arcpodnet.com, there's a search at the top, which will search the entire network for not only tags, but keywords within the show notes, which is why I ask hosts to do um, as detailed a show notes as they possibly can, because the more descriptive you can be in there. And I'll tell you what, we never had more detailed show notes until Jeb came on fully. And now it's like the back of an encyclopedia for every freaking episode that we have to deal. <laughs> but anyway, um, so the reference for that are pretty detailed. But that being said, each show also has, in the right-hand column, when you click into the show, there's a search that just searches that show. So if you know something you're looking for is possibly, you know, probably on one show, you can go in and search it, as long as it's in the show notes. So transcription of our, of our um, episodes is another thing we want to do, and we want that to be searchable as well at some point. And that's something we're, yeah, that's something we're looking forward to. I think he did. He saw his hand I, no, I'm yeah. not volunteering to transcribe things, but to follow up on transcription, I've I've been contacted by a a deaf uh, reader, uh, a follower of the podcast network who reads our show notes and hmm. uh, reaches out to to me in particular for more information when she sees that the the show notes have interesting topics to her. She wants to know more, but can't uh, obviously listen to the episode. So eventually yeah. that'll be a thing that we want to add just to make it more accessible. If that's one of our shows, if that's one of our shows, she can certainly contact Jeb. <laughs> more than happy to I mean, I know, I, I, I'm, I, I listen to not just APN podcasts, but a number, and I know transcripts on the one hand is often this kind of holy grail they want. On the other hand, it's a hell of a lot of work sure. and or expense, and it often is where the money thing comes in because it's a lot of work. And while we do nice show notes and uh, my uh, somewhat um, overly bibliographic style uh, <laughs> might, might be there, that's not a transcript. And, and that is something that if we could have would be great, but mm -hmm. that is a, really is a step up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a real expense, too. That's not something a volunteer is probably going to be able to handle. Yeah. Michael, do you have a... Well, <clears throat> I, wanted, I actually wanted to circle back to the education thing because I just came out of a uh, task. I'm, so I'm a part of it. I'm in a task force for the SAA on data archiving and preservation. And um, I'm just going to blurt this out even though we just had the <laughs> meeting. Um, but we came up with seven things the SAA should do to help with data archiving in our initial thing. 
And what the very first one was the task force should actually survive. And it's surviving, which is good. Um, but the third was education and training. So the the podcast that so I basically said, well, we should leverage the APN, uh, which is a, already an amazing network of I, I'm basically saying instructors, you, you, the, all of you are amazing. You know a lot of stuff, and it's like the things that we and we need to broadcast out to to a very broad um, constituency of humans to get citizen archiving to be a thing. So that actually. They didn't tell me to shut the hell up, so I figured that's a good thing. <laughs> but the Codify podcast that we're talking about that we're constructing, the reason my, I've had hesitancy to really get into this is because I really want to do this right. And for, with the Center for Digital Archaeology, that's all we've done for like the last seven years. Before that at Berkeley, I taught over 24 classes on, on digital archaeology. So I, I'm, I'm hoping to see us do more kind of educationally focused, K to gray, if you will, types of things. So hearing buzzwords like bite size, correlated to curriculum, all the things is beautiful. Um, also, I feel like it would be great as just an enthusiast, you know, who's like trying to learn everything there is to know about CRM say, to have some way of like, of, I don't know, some gazetteer, if you will. I mean, Chris, what Chris just described is great. There's the same thing with like going to iTunes and going, I want to learn about gastrointestinal disorder, not personally, but you know, it's like you just start searching. And it's like it's just it's really hard. So it's like I don't know if there's a, a silver bullet, but I do know at least with the SAA that there's traction, which might even equal funding. Um, there's a lot of need for education, and this is a really expensive meeting for people to go to, right? So mm -hmm. the the APN I feel again is uniquely situated. To, to to become an educational platform as well in your spare time. By the way, we're officially soliciting proposals for a host for the gastrointestinal podcast at this point. So that's <laughs> just that's uh, Michael Schwarman talking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it just came up after Schwarman, the same. Right, right. <laughs> All right, so I'm just trying to outdo that guy back there. That's yeah. not going to happen. No, yeah. I'm going to try. You know, it's kind of. So are, are there other comments from the audience right now before we before we move on? Some other people? Um, Go ahead, Bill. I sort of want, want an observation of sort of using, we're, we're talking about public engagement and archaeology and, and, and the podcast and the podcast network as being a tool for that. Um, you know, even though I don't have a podcast, um, <laughs> I've used uh, the epi some episodes and, and uh, things like that as sort of like tools. I mean, I'm in, I'm in CRM, so I don't necessarily have a, a direct public fa continuous public face. But when it comes time to talking with friends and family, and they'll sort of ask me about certain particular uh, items, and I may not have all the answers, uh, or at least I come to a point where I can't make it up anymore. Um, you know, I, I have used uh, the, the you know, shows as reference points of like, if you're curious about this, listen to this. They have a great episode here. Uh, they really explain things down. Uh, normally, it's on, on sort of the more the weirder end. Uh, so the archie <laughs> fantasies, you know, you find find a Bigfoot enthusiast and uh, and the ghost people, and you know, sort of push them in that direction to sort of help debunk uh, those types of things. But uh, so it has been a useful tool, uh, at least I've I've found of sort of uh, as uh, in my arsenal of like references I can I can point people to uh, when I'm talking to them about archaeology. Uh, 
Um, so so it is it is being used at least by one person. <laughs> nice. And, and if we hear that from one person, I've got to imagine there's a bunch more out there that, that aren't saying anything. And that's great. And that's I, I never started this, the first podcast, you know, when we started that first one, I never started it for us to just sit around and talk. I mean, it was started as a, as really an educational thing. So we could talk about issues in CRM and even, at least work them out amongst ourselves. And maybe hopefully somebody else could learn from our discussion about something. Um, and that's, that's really been my intent. And that was the whole point with the rest of the, the network. I had so many other topics I wanted to talk about. And how many how many weird episodes did I try to like pigeonhole into the Sierra Archaeology podcast because I didn't have another one? You know, <laughs> like the one on dreams might have been a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, but that's been the that's been the goal is to is to have this be educational and as a as a public outreach. And I'm glad that that at least, you know, archaeologists we can get confirmation that they're using it for friends and family that aren't archaeologists and say, hey, go listen to this and then come back to me with your questions. So that's pretty good. Any other comments from the audience? All right. How about any other comments from the panel? I'm kind of running out of stuff here. Anything? Yeah, Chris? I'd just like to thank everybody who came to listen to our session. I know. When it's way past beer 30 for everyone. I know, it's the first day, the first real day of the conference. It's dinner time for most people after a long day. And, uh, and it's the one night of the conference where everything is booked at the same time because it's the one evening session. So um, not too surprised, really. Yeah. Everybody's out. But yeah, if there's no more comments, then I think we'll, uh, I think we'll do this right here. And uh, thanks for listening. Thanks to the, what, four people on Facebook Live? I don't know who you are. At least two. There were four. Uh, so one might be my wife wondering when we're gonna have <laughs> She's just making sure. She's like sitting outside. <laughs> nice. She's just in an angry face. Angry face. Angry face. <laughs> angry face. <laughs> nice. Nice. So if you are listening to this right now, so you found it on the podcast network wherever we decided to put it, there is a, a video version of this. I, I can't vouch for the audio quality because it's my iPhone, but it, go over to the Archaeology Podcast Network Facebook page and you can find it there. Um, and please tell us in the comments there or just right on the page or wherever you see it, you know, how, what you get out of the podcast network, how you like it, and, uh, and what we can do better to improve. And, and topics that you'd like to hear. Absolutely. Or if you'd like to be a guest on at least the, the Women in Archaeology podcast, and I know there's a few others that have guest shows. Yeah. Um, we do more of a conversation panel style like this rather than yep. the interviews. So it's fun. It's not <laughs> too pointed. You're not put under the wire, the, yeah. the glass. So that's kind of nice. And you guys have a publicly accessible Facebook page. Is that right? Yes, I yeah. believe so. So I'll double check on that. But we do have a Facebook page. Twitter has been around. Uh, Chelsea Slotten, my our other yeah. co-host who's here, has been um, uh, twittering away. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, we, we've been trying to get more active on the, the social media scene, which is new to me. Nice. <laughs> I, I'm not a Twitter literate really <laughs> yet, so I'm still learning. Okay. All right. Well, again, thanks, everybody, and uh, thanks for joining us. All right. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Nice. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.
archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US dollars a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Bro.